Hey folks, and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The daily ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing When Harry Met Sally, directed by Rob Reiner, Memories of a Murder by Bong Joon-ho, Nobody by Ilya Neshuler, and newly released Bell, directed by Mamaru Hosoda, and Nightmare Alley by Guillermo del Toro. So stay tuned and enjoy the show. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? Tommy boy, how's it going? Uh, it's going really well. It's going really well. And how was your uh, week of movies, man? Week of movies was good. Uh, around the world in just an intro uh, with all those director names. Excellent yeah, we job. have a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of different directors from a lot yeah, of different places. Absolutely, uh, and, and thematically. A little bit of a tough matching. Uh, I, there's a lot here that maybe doesn't have ties together. Wanted to maybe incorporate some things together. It didn't work out like that, but excited to talk about nearly all of these movies. Yeah, definitely. And I think we might have some heavy hitters, too. Mm-hmm. Um, with that being said, do we want to start? Sure, absolutely. And let's start with a very famous movie we have directed by Rob Reiner, When Harry Met Sally. Yes. Okay. So this movie, uh, I was it was on my radar for... I honestly don't know why. I was trying to look back to one of my many lists, and I think this could have been on here because... I was pretty hot on when we when we watched Misery not too long ago, mm-hmm, yeah, uh, and that of course was directed by Rob Reiner. Possibly, this landed on my radar on one of my lists for the editing tricks. There's a lot of split screen editing that I'll obviously talk about uh, in in just a little bit uh, when we get into the review. But yeah, uh, I uh, nonetheless very happy to watch this film. Uh, definitely a lead in into some of the type of films that we're going to be uh, watching in February, diving into some more vintage, some more rom-com stuff. So excited for that. Yeah, and I also think this is just a good one to get onto the site. To have yeah. The daily ratings, I think this is this is definitely a film that should be on there. A lot of people know it. Uh, Rob, you know, Rob Reiner, famous, and, and this is one of his most famous movies of Abs- that as well. Absolutely. So I love that you put it on this list here for this yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is, uh, for folks at home, this is a movie where Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan are... Uh, kind of met together in in serendipitous circumstances. They they go their separate ways, and overall, we see their relationship both in friendship and romantically evolve over over many many years. Uh, it's in that evolution over time that I think 
this film really uh, it does a great job uh, showing the evolution and our characters uh, Billy Crystal and, and, and Meg Ryan do a great job at, at showing that evolution in their roles as well and that's where I think I think the cornerstone of, of where I'm coming about with this review, where does this separate itself from the pack of very the, the many, many rom-coms out there? How does this separate itself from the pack, you know? So so you would definitely say that, I mean, they're just coming off as very believable characters. They look uh, like they're... they're they look believable, realistic in the real world, kind of like you yeah. Can see that. The dialogue super sharp. Uh, sharp. I like how they evolve as characters, specifically uh, in their roles over time. Oh, so uh, the, the way the characters were written, yes. was very good. Okay, in I the see. story, many years pass over this, and both of them are creating development in their characters. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Sure, yeah, it's really good. Uh, chemistry on screen. I would say it's a bit odd for a romance. Uh, it's kind of the point of the story, uh, but when it comes to why this works, I think it works because there is really a breakneck pace to this dialogue, uh, and both of our leads are really keeping up with this. The script is incredibly sharp. I think everyone is uh, really on point with their delivery, uh, especially Billy Crystal, that... You know his style, uh, his his just normal way of speaking, uh, are a very high cadence. On this, it's just a perfect match because they're both in New York. You know, they're both yeah. uh, developing over the years in their own careers as well. So it, it's a really good match that they are. They're able to both give it and take it as far as dialogue goes. Okay, sure, uh, yeah, and really, really nice to see them always on screen. And it, it kind of it boils down to a very simple fact that if. A rom-com is going to be about our two main leads. Uh, they they are a delight to see on screen. So yeah, that's huge. Right it's there. good yeah. stuff, yeah. Uh, I also enjoy the film for some cuts when it goes away from our main romance. Throughout the film, there will be real relationship interview segments of long-term sweethearts, uh, high school uh, relationships that have lasted for years and years and years. And the film cuts to that frequently. Uh, I, I enjoy it just because it's it breaks up things. I would have liked it maybe to be tied thematically with where our characters are on screen and maybe what story is called back to when. But it, it really, really nice stuff that uh, that is cut to because it's enjoyable seeing real life relationships and then diving into this story. It's 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 a good it's good pairing. Would you say where it worked in the film and you enjoyed seeing it? It just could have been more connected to the film in a better way. Like it didn't yeah. work, but maybe it could have worked even better. Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, out of the. I know however many interviews in production of this if right, you right. took the real interviews and then paired them thematically with what where the what the characters are going through depending on what stage or how many years have progressed in the story mm-hmm. I could I think there could have been some pairing where some of these they're very cute but they just kind of come out of nowhere and it, maybe it's a, a a little distracting but you know again I'm not I'm not criticizing it too much because I did enjoy their inclusion right. in the it film. was I it think, was a net positive for the film Exactly yeah. I think it could have been used Used a little bit more strategically, and and I'm not saying I'll alter what the real life you know relationships are talking about. You right, know? right. Uh, you know the stories uh, uh, that that's that's really the best part about it. Just some interesting, more interesting pairing. So let's go ahead and talk about Billy Crystal a little bit. He is great in this. You know, I think a 
as far as his quick talking, uh, <laughs> his, uh, his again, I, I really would describe it as breakneck pace to the dialogue. Uh, really great. Uh, I think he's great specifically in this role because we see him as a provoker uh, of Meg Ryan. You know, he's always the prodder uh, right, of right. when it comes to trying to push her in certain ways and and get her to react in certain ways and it's 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 a bit of the instigator yeah exactly and and i think uh to the character the audience can can actually care about him in this way for where his role evolves in the story because again the story evolves in multiple years I forget how many years it's either 7, 8 or 11 I feel like I've watched a couple things (laughs) (laughs) that blurred together but really good Oddly enough, though, the standout is Meg Ryan. Uh, I, she is a powerhouse in, in like so this good. '80s and '90s time. Yeah. She, she's everywhere. Yeah, I mean, she, she's with Tom Hanks in, in so many movies, sure. and she's just, she's a powerhouse. Is Absolutely. the best way to describe her in this and, time. And and I mean, if I had to put money or a coin flip on who I would have liked more going into this, I absolutely said Billy Crystal. Meg Ryan right. really is the best of this. Uh, That's awesome to hear. She takes this evolution over multiple years, and she really runs with that as. As far as her character evolving, how she reacts to situations, and obviously where the relationship goes. You know, okay, sure. That's friendship or romance. Uh, just a really good standout. And I think uh, as far as how she's killing the both comedic and dramatic elements, uh, I have to say, I mean, she gets the, the credit for why I think this works as a rom-com that stands above the rest, okay. if, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Back to my original note, with, with some of the split-screen editing, I think, once again, I'm looking for where this stands above the rest, where in the massive catalog of romantic comedies that you could watch. You know, it's kind of hard from a critical perspective to say, oh, well, I prefer this actor versus this, or I prefer where the romance goes with this. I think that's getting too in the weeds and and not that's not going to lead to a consistent criticism on my part. Okay, sure. Where I'm going into this is looking into what type of visual storytelling is happening on screen. Uh, what are the gimmicks or what are the unique aspects to the film? And in this film specifically for Harry When Harry Met Sally, we have these split-screen sequences that visual comedy is being put forward. Uh, we see both characters in different places on screen but acting at the same time and, and playing off each other. And it's very enjoyable to watch. I would say there's probably two to three main times that these sequences come up that... Uh, characters will be, you know, it's it's quite literally picture in picture. You know, the the there right, is a split right, yeah. screen on 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 you know on on the film, and where you have that dialing in of why I think it's so enjoyable is we are seeing both characters have a monologue like environment or monologue platform to act and show the development of their roles, uh, and they're both on screen at the same time and really going off of each other. These are almost, I believe, all happen over phone calls, which makes sense. But really, I think if that that in combination with Meg Ryan's specific performance, I think the film itself really has some interesting sequences this way. And that's what once again where I'm dialing into why this stands above, you know, the huge And what separates herd. it. Stands yeah. above and separates it. And, and if you have good character writing, good actors to play those characters, mm-hmm. and you have uniqueness in the film mm-hmm. that can stand in part, that's I mean, that's a very good recipe. 
Absolutely, absolutely. I think uh, with that, you know, I, I'm I'm coming into this very positive where it stands apart. I think there has to be some sort of visual flair and uniqueness when it comes to that, and I think this film definitely checks that box. These fl- split scene sequences are really, you know, some of the most en- entertaining parts of the film, and that's what leads me into, you know, uh, how does this film sell the story? These sequences, they sell a visual comedy, they sell a platform for our actors to really be in their own and show how the role is evolving and the story is evolving. And, and that re- results in a, in a very, very warm score from me. We're going to go ahead and give When Harry Met Sally a 74. Oh, okay, 74. Very good score. I was almost mm-hmm. maybe thinking you were going to give it uh, higher. Yeah. Um, what maybe, say, like, don't hit, doesn't quite get into the 80s? Was it just the overall story? Was it just... I think it, it's it's a temperature for me that I, I say, wow, everyone's got to see this. You know what I mean? I think, I think that's what is one of the biggest questions on my mind of uh, whether it's cracking into the 80s or right, not. Right, right, right. The must-watch ability of it, if you will. Right, okay, sure, uh, yeah. And, and, that, and that's where I, I think it, it falls short a little bit. And again, I think... Not that it's a huge criticism, but these cuts away to real life characters mm-hmm. or real, um, real life characters, real life relationships. Yeah, I could have think there could have been some thematic pairing, a little bit more strategic with okay. that. Okay, but overall, really... very enjoyable. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, fantastic! So. All right. Also, secret Christmas movie. <laughs> oh, I mean, because of multiple years, but yeah, Christmas comes up a bunch. That's going to be a great compilation, maybe <laughs> to put to put on the site. Just secret Christmas movie, be a great compilation to do up there. Uh, I now mark it in my notes as just SC. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> and I move on. Awesome. Seventy four. Here, Matt Sally. Uh, all right, so we're going to keep on going here, and we're going to jump from eighty nine to two thousand and three, and we're going to go with Memories of a Murder, and this is directed by um, you know a very much. A rising star yeah, on the ratings. It, yeah, you know, we're very much enjoying his films. This is Bong Joon-ho, mm-hmm. who we know and most of the world knows from um, Parasite. Mm-hmm. And we also had previously reviewed... The Host. Right, The Host. And so this, where does this come in during his release dates? Like, is this after The Ooh. Host, before The Host? This is before The Host, if I'm, if I'm correct. I think Host was 2006. This is 2003. Uh, is, is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, the the host two thousand six, memories of a murder two thousand three. So this is early uh, Bong Joon Ho. Yes. Yeah. And uh, surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, with with how with how hot I've been on his movies, mm-hmm. once again, uh, similar type of genre balancing that I think he's known for. I mean, I think it is goes beyond a motif. It is really a trademark of his style. Uh, folks at home, this is a movie of. I believe it's partially a true story, uh, not not with the specific detectives involved, but this is a uh, serial killer uh, thriller that is partially a true story off of a series of murders in the late 80s uh, in rural South Korea. Uh, very Zodiac-like for that reason. Ah, okay. Uh, and I'd, I'd be interested to see maybe just that early 2000s, maybe just, you know, Killer thrillers. Maybe it was just super. It was, like hot. It was in yeah. the air. Yeah, yeah it was just in about the air. It. Uh, interesting how how things come around like that. But uh, as the years progress in the story, I think it it kind of blurs the lines of this is a story about the murders that Bong wants to tell to maybe being a little bit more of a critique of uh, 
police at the time. Uh, and okay. And th- there, there's some interesting things that this film does. Uh, there's a lot of juggling act with all of his films. But one thing that I want to introduce as some of the opening notes with this, the rural setting here almost has a character in its own. Uh, and it casts our detectives in a very interesting light, sometimes as competent, and sometimes as brutal, out of touch, and almost self-sabotaging for that reason. I think that is probably the most interesting part about this film because I honestly don't know the historical context of what South Korea was going through in late 80s to early 90s. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there seems to be a story that... The film will cut away to to show civil unrest to I mean the film very much puts a spotlight on brutal detective methods uh, throughout the whole film and I, it's not necessarily a story but there is a an underlining that I think this film means something for South Koreans that I couldn't grab an appreciation for but it's definitely up it's in the present film. It's, it's definitely, definitely present yeah. and coming across absolutely was it was it trying to get across an agenda or trying to get across just a trying to get across a point, basically, or highlight something that was going on in the country I at the time. I think it's right? highlighting, I mean, the, the setting, that that's where it ties back to me calling the setting a character. Rural South Korea in the late 80s is pretty damn rural, you know what I mean? Right, right. Uh, this is, this is uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far to say third world country, but, you know, I mean, this is small, small town yeah, yeah. stuff. So where it ties into that, I think that is very intentional, and I think that just plays into how the setting is defining our character's more than you know any other any other normal setting would mm-hmm. i think there's definitely some intention behind that uh once again though bong's natural knack uh for comedy here is is great i mean i am stunned with what he's able to do with telling a story and just having comedy inter- infused with it interweaved with it and believe me don't get me wrong it is not like uh, oh, this is funny for an Asian film, or this is very a, a, a South Korean type of comedy. It's visual it's just, comedy. It's it's cross culture that yeah, way. Anyone yeah, anyone could laugh at this because I think it is genuinely funny. Uh, this is this is you what you love so much about Edgar Wright as well. Absolutely. He's so good at, at, at just visual comedy where yeah. it doesn't matter what culture you're from or what film you know. Film is so different per country. Oh, for sure. It's great that you have this through line, and he's great at connecting mm-hmm. with those audiences. Right, and maybe I'm hyper aware of it too because comedy in Japanese films or and in some South Korean films can be so uh, guarded. It can be such a barrier for Western audiences. Okay. Uh, in addition to the language, you know, are you grasping how a line is delivered? Yes. I mean, uh, or, you know, comedic timing. In yeah, a I mean, just the fact that it's lost. Yeah, just the fact that it's lost in... Uh, in subtitles and, and and it's it's you know you're you are taken away out of a movie somewhat and you're focused on something mm-hmm. else that's not typical it's it's not exactly the easiest thing to do exactly but visual comedy mm-hmm. anyone can get behind it it's, right it's cross cultural and I think once again he hits the nail on the head with this there's a <laughs> there is a a running gag of a flying jump kick <laughs> in <laughs> in these in these interrogation sequences and where it goes with that with the film is I mean it's 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 so good. It's uh, he just has such a a 
a knack for it. Uh, and it's it's really something to see that it's present almost in every film. And I think as we revisit more, or not revisit, but as I dive into more of Bong's movies, I'm just so ecstatic to see if it keeps up across the board. Is it truly his trademark? You know, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, of this balance. I love so. that the DNA is there even back in 2000. Like we, yeah. we, we were surprised, you were surprised to see the host in 2006, yeah. how much of Parasite, the yep. best parts about Parasite are in the host. Yep. And it's like, it's even three years early, earlier than that, which yep. is and, very cool. And maybe that's just him refining it over years and, and, and really dialing it in, but it's it's absolutely there. Uh, so it, it, cro- it cross off that box that is that is that is uh, 100% here. Uh, let's talk about some of the performances. A, a usual, I, I would say almost uh, his his go-to actor, Kang Hu Song, uh, is incredible. Uh, this is the dad from Parasite, in, in case you don't know, uh, and, and hard to keep track of, of, of some of these actors, of course. He was in Host, he's in this, and always pr- proves he's not afraid to take on roles all over the map, all over the spectrum, whether it cool. is a cool detective, whether it is a idiot a shopkeeper, you know, it, the list goes on. I would almost compare this to, I mean, this is kind of top of mind just because we're coming off of last week, but almost like a Philip Seymour Hoffman that there's no barrier to the wow. type of roles that he's taking. There's, it's not that it's lack of pride, it's more so... He's excited to take on different things. And once again, we see with uh, Kang Hoo Song a, a really a, a great performance here. Really entertaining. Wow, that's awesome. The balance, I mean, if, if the balance between seriousness and comedy is going to lie with anywhere and be sold by any one actor, it's absolutely with him. So, And I think he's probably the keystone of a lot uh, of Bung's uh, Bung's movies, so that's cool, and it's and it's, again, you know, that's a fourteen year gap mm. that he's doing these movies with him and everything like that, and mm-hmm. just the fact that he's so good on just that. I mean, that's great to see. Yeah, that's great to see. Absolutely, uh, cinematography uh, once again uh, a real big highlight here. The cuts, how long we we stay on sequences? No, really, the absence of cuts, the absence of edits. You know, really, if there is a single reason why this movie should be on your watch list, it is how big crowds are presented. It is how busy scenes are presented. I don't know if it's just because I've been watching a good amount of modern film, but there are so many fast edits in films nowadays. And I, I, you know, I like what that when that's appropriate. I like that when that's, of course, visual storytelling and 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 has a, has a an importance to the to the film itself. Yeah, of course. Man, he what he decides to just keep the camera hanging on is so entertaining and really some phenomenal, phenomenal framing, blocking. You know, th- this is this is really top notch. One scene in particular is a nightclub that he takes from a very simple argument. You you would say almost like a filler, something you get up to go to the bathroom with. Mm-hmm. And not only is this camera work characterizing our, our our two main actors on screen and showing in visual storytelling the distance they have in their positions. But as the scene comes to a close, we we zoom back in and as his, you know, trademark comedy kind of comes into play, diffuses the situation and we see the frame get closer and closer, bringing our characters together. Really some amazing stuff. And to see this happen in one of his first works of mm-hmm. 2003, I mean... Yeah, hats off. Uh, really top notch stuff. Yeah, that's 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 awesome. And then you said also with the cinematography too, as far as like you mentioned the Zodiac mm. um, earlier. Did it have that darker undertone? Was every shot kind of had that bluish or just kind of that darker tone to it? Like, 
did it have that that encapsulate that feel? You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, it, but darker in subject matter, uh, and that leads to me to really in my, such, but not my main criticism with it. Okay, but, but as far as cinematography, did it have that feel, that look to it, or no? Yes, uh, and I think that's again sold by. I mean, this is out in the boons of South Korea. Right, you know? right. This is uh, this is out there uh, and 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 really underdeveloped. So there is a a paleness uh, to color okay. composition on okay. the screen. Definitely kind of selling the age of, of being a late 90s, uh, or I'm sorry, late 80s. Uh, and I think to your point with that, some of the through line there, it, it does play into the fact that this, this, this story of this police work, these detectives, they're understaffed. They're maybe not trained properly because of the rural setting. Interesting. And I think that plays into some sort of commentary of not civil unrest, but I, I don't know the history uh, right, at right. the time. And, that, and that's why I think with the, the enjoyment comes into play that this is a partially true story. Fictional characters, obviously he's creating this fictional, uh, you know, these, these characters of the detectives and whatnot. So but where I want to wrap up is related to the, the biggest aspect of the thriller uh, of this. You know, what is happening with the actual, the drama and uh, the, the sometimes the horrific things that our detectives are, are faced with. I think if there's one aspect to hold back this film from truly great is that the comedy meshes, you know, the the genre balancing act, what I've talked about with all his films, sure. it's probably at its weakest here because it's not that the comedy doesn't work. It's not that the thriller of this, you know, very heavy topics of murder, rape, uh, you know, the, the actual serial killer aspects of this, both are good independently. But when something is matched together with comedy, it's it's tough. It's probably at his weakest of the films okay. that I've seen so far because even with the host, you have this family comedy being paired against a, a monster horror, which isn't you know it's 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 drastic, mm-hmm. but it can make that act. We're flipping from one side being comedic detectives, you know, ragtag detectives. And then a very serious, no less real, murder-rape thriller plot. Uh, and it's a little bit jarring for that reason. Yeah, so it's hard it, to put your finger on this film when you're watching it. Interesting. So, and it, But it's funny that it, it's done well, mm-hmm. but the balancing of it or like melding those two together, mm-hmm. it's just like so difficult to actually make it right. Exactly. Both are done independently very well. Both sides of the coin, you know, they, they stand on their own. Right, right. It's but, when they come together and especially the scenes that, that both are juggled. It it's doesn't just, quite hit. It's it doesn't a, quite hit just because, I mean, the stakes on the thriller side are just so serious. Yeah, I mean, we're yeah. We're talking about, you know, some serious stuff here. No less real events. So it it always left me kind of in a, an interesting spot with it that was I, you know, I was almost questioning myself. Was I was supposed to be taking this comedically? Was I supposed to look at a specific cue or okay. maybe an interaction between characters how I think it was comedic, but it made me question in between. Maybe that's the brilliance of, of an early film like this, that he's just figuring that out, and he doesn't maybe know quite the balancing act, but I think more than any other film that I've seen from him so far, it's a tough balance because of the severity of the two directions that's going. Does okay. that make sense? Of course, absolutely. So uh, that that's what I think uh, I'm 
really my main critique here. Uh, it's not that the 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 genre mastering doesn't work. Uh, it's just that this one is pretty severe, and the distance between the two uh, is sometimes a little bit disorienting. That on top of maybe some language barrier, I think that's that's where I'm coming at that prevents this movie from really being great. Nonetheless, this is a a very good movie. None, uh, you know, following through on. Having these trademarks of Bong be uh, present so early in his works, um, and not only that, uh, just a phenomenal, entertaining movie with some sharp, sharp cinematography work, we're going to go ahead and give Memories of Murder a 76. 76, a great score. Mm -hmm. Clock's lower than Host. Definitely clocks lower than right, Parasite, right. but but still, still solid. It's still solid, and yeah. his DNA is right there. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's it's great. It's great that we at least that we found this too. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm so great that Parasite brought this guy to light, especially like in more Western market. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. uh, that's great to see. And the and, and, you know the acting is just like man. That that's the biggest thing I'm looking forward to now because now that I have this through line with watching his work, I'm just excited to see the actors that he he grabs again and again and seeing, you know, how he pushes them as a director. Yeah, so. no, absolutely. It's going to be great to see him keep going. Mm -hmm. Okay, with that, let's keep going ourselves here and we're going to go with a movie that just that came out in 2021, earlier 2021, mm -hmm. and we have Bob Odenkirk in a in a unique role, but it's Nobody. Yes. Uh okay, so Nobody I had to let the hype down uh, die down on this one. I am a big fan of the director here. I'm not going to even bother. We, we got through one <laughs> pronunciation of the name. Ilya Neshuler. There we go. There we go. <laughs> um, a big fan of him from his first film, Hardcore Henry, uh, which was a, a not exactly the best critical movie, but such a good watch with the boys, such a, you know, something you put on and it's just entertaining to watch all the action on screen. So I was really, really excited for this film, but I had to let the hype die down. Uh, I was just, I had yeah, you, to let it cool off. Yeah. You were, um, I saw, I saw this before you, yes. I did not see it in theaters. I mean, it had, was it in theaters? Yeah. I think so. Barely, but yeah, yeah, yeah. just because that was sure. more peak kind of uh, yeah, pandemic a little bit. March, yeah, Yeah, I was, think I was a little bit more excited. You definitely had your walls up a little bit of it. Because yeah. it, it was just like, I think everyone was so excited to see Bob Odenkirk in a role like this. Mm -hmm. Everyone's still in just like such a John Wick kind of like hype. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of funny that you took your time. I'm glad you I'm glad you got to it, though. Yeah, it, well, and, and, you know, HBO Max Sponsor, but not sponsored. <laughs> right, you know, right, easy right. Watch. <laughs> but I, I would describe this for folks at home. I mean, this is a movie that elevator pitch here is really Dad John Wick, um, and this goes beyond the style and motifs that we have in the film because the same writer, uh, Derek Kolstad, is the same writer of the John Wick series. Um, mm, yeah, yeah. I think this plays a little bit more negative for me because it's a little bit been there, done that, and I think as I'll kind of bring it home, I don't see much reason to recommend this movie over a John Wick one, and I it leaves me a little bit difficult of where this is positioned in between. So, well, my thing is, I mean, you don't want to just hand the torch of this kind of new genre of gung fu over mm -hmm. to Keanu Reeves and and John Wick, mm -hmm. right? I mean, if, if you explore, if you, if you want to branch, you know, because 
you're a big fan of gung, uh, gung fu. Yeah. And I, I am as well, and Absolutely. more and more people are catching on. You want the genre to kind of thrive a little bit. Don't you want to see more and more? Or is yeah. it just like, are you saying like the story itself is the, just like too close? The story's just a little bit too close. Okay, and, I see. All right. I mean, even to the point, uh, you know, I don't think it's a huge spoiler, but like he has like gold in his basement and whatnot. You know, there's there's almost like too much of like, okay, wow, this yeah. is really, you know, they're dealing with Russians as the as the antagonists mm. or as the thugs. It just yeah, it strikes yeah. a little bit. And almost, I would, I would say, I, I think you have a great perspective there. You know, if if the genre is thriving, you got to have content. Other, you have that yeah, content. Rather, yeah. I yeah. mean, what did we just talk about with Zodiac and 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 Memories of Murder? Uh, right. You know, there's gonna be there's there, there can be complementary films that come out. Well, it's in, just from the same guy. That's where I, I'm landing. Like, same guy, and so much is the same. Yeah. It's just a little bit too close. Exactly. I don't know, too close. New to home director, a bit. and sure, obviously, yeah. director would probably love to work in that genre. You know, Hardcore Henry practically was gung fu. You know, right? Uh, first person, if you will. So, yeah. So that that that's where I come at it with. It's just it's. So it's not so much the style of fighting that's consistent. Exactly. And just that, and you know, because then you could, it's more so the story itself has been there, done that. I'll take more of the fighting any day of the week. Right. Just but, like when you look at the raid early yeah, on, gung fu. Right. Same type of fighting, but Absolutely. very, very different story. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. So um, let's talk about Bob. Uh, Bob takes a while to do anything really badass on screen, but when it gets there, the fighting choreography is right on pace with what you would expect from John Wick, certainly from Hardcore Henry for the director specifically. You know, it is uh, that fight choreography. They are not afraid to let the camera sit on punches. I would say overall... There are a little bit more cuts in the fighting than you would see in a John Wick, but it's also been a while since I've seen that first film. Okay. Uh, and, and and Tom knows my opinions on how the, the films progress, so eventually we'll get to we'll that. Cover, yeah, yeah, we'll bring some audio to that soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, when, when 4 comes out, you know. <laughs> we'll make a whole, a whole thing. But I, I think the whole movie unflow, unfolds much, much more slower. We're talking an hour and 30 and change, and, I mean, it's pretty much up to the 30-minute mark before we get really our first dose of badassery with Bob. And is that okay? Like, is the build-up good? Because I feel like... You find it worth it or I not? I would have liked some more done with that time. More character building? Yeah. Okay. Cause, and I really, the character building throughout the whole film it feels a bit generic as well. You know, uh, he has marital problems, for instance, you know, really emphasizing the dad, John Wick. <laughs> you know, he has a family <laughs> home a lot of that is just uh, a little bit too shallow for me oh okay all and right again yeah. we're talking weak, about a little, bit, a little weak uh, yeah we're talking about an action film here you know what i mean this is this is about the action yeah. if anything let's tie that into well if it's about the action well we're waiting you know some time until we get into involved into anything serious you know yeah for sure for sure um so uh like i said though fights are solid uh they are creative they're showing actually let me circle back a second let me dial this back to to bob's performance i'm looking at here i think if this movie is going to stand apart from a john wick it's probably going to stand apart on its more humorous segments, which is not a lot. Uh, but I think where where Bob shines for me is when a little bit of awkward intera- interactions or uh, comedic flashbacks. There's one in particular in the film. 
Uh, it works for me a little bit better when he's being comedic on screen because he really is funny. His line delivery, it's straight face, but it's clearly a, a funny sequence. That's where his performance really shines. And again, that is my argument. If you are in love with John Wick, or maybe specifically if you have not dived to any of these movies, how does this movie exist in the same ecosystem? I think it's for its more comedic elements and more of its slow burn elements. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the fight work, though. I mean, I think it is very... Very solid, very creative. If there is a mark of this director pairing up with this writer, uh, it is going to be in the more creative, kind of homemade type of action, homemade uh, props to it. Uh, there's a lot of ragtag kind of pipe nail bomb work and 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 really enjoyable for that reason. Uh, very reminiscent of a hardcore Henry, which I like to see. Uh, and I think the best part about it is Bob is not invincible on screen. He gets his ass kicked quite a bit uh, in this uh, and oh, shows okay. that he's more vulnerable. Yeah, um, yeah, and there's some separation there from John Wick as well. He's a little mm-hmm. bit more invincible kind of. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, where John Wick is, is with Keanu, it's 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 the stakes are there, but it's all gun based. This is all fight based, much more type of beat up scenario. Okay, you know? using the surroundings, kind of exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think for that reason, Bob takes a lot more hits, and I think it, again that is, helps distinguish this from uh, you know what what I've been comparing it to you know so far. Uh, how we, how it how it's sold is that he's not invincible. Where on the other hand, you know, there's you know who who's gonna who's gonna argue with John Wick you know shooting headshots every everywhere so um the edits and the cuts uh, they are very well done i would say if there is an enjoyment to uh, that first third uh, first half before we get really really into the action uh, i think that is where some of the best cuts are because there is some visual comedy being flared in there uh, and it keeps it very snappy keeps it well paced okay you know it wasn't i wasn't really bored to tears even though we're not in action just yet it's not exactly, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it as slow burn because there, it, things are going at pretty, you know, breakneck pace with that. So, uh, bottom line, though, I would say I'm more middle of the road with this one. Uh, I don't think um, it, it exactly stands apart from its contemporaries or its competitors, however you want to see it. I, I'm not super hot on the writer kind of making the making the same the, the same kind of storyline making the same yeah. type of you know it doesn't I mean? sound like you're very excited about by it yeah and it could be good like what you said in the beginning been there done that a little bit mm-hmm. and you know a little things are different here or there which is nice mm-hmm. but overall it's like okay yeah yeah and when there's callbacks to it or not callbacks but when there are similarities down to the the same plot points that would be in John Wick you know again I'm not trying to over compare to that sure. but it's his same work right uh, it's the same dude uh, writing this I think that that's uh, for me I, I you know I'm not excited by that on screen it's almost a disappointment to say oh okay we're using the same thing again right you know? right no, <laughs> it's, yeah. it, definitely it, it, it was more of a, a disappointment to it um, and, and that's that's where I'm coming middle of the road I think on top of that I was not one to follow Bob Odenkirk's career too much. I think if you love him uh, and want a a touch of comedy in your action film, uh, certainly want to see him in a very different role. Mm-hmm, I think yeah. that that this film is a, is a great watch for you. I think other than that, we're going to go ahead and give nobody a sixty one. 
Oh, a sixty-one score though. I mean, that's still a, that's still a good movie. You're still in there in a good movie. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I guess you made you made a good caveat where it's if it's specific to you, it'll be mm-hmm. you go see it and everything like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was definitely interested to see Bob Odenkirk. In the th- I think he played the <laughs> character well. Yeah. You know absolutely. what I mean? Like he actually did. Like he did a good job at everything. And the fight choreography. I mean, this is him on screen. You know what I mean? Right. It's, yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. So. I think for for some, maybe those Bob Odenkirk fans, you know, whether it's Better Call Saul or whatever, I think this could be their John Wick, especially right, if they right. haven't seen the original of it. But overall, uh, in that genre, if you're looking for that gung mu mm-hmm. or gung fu kind of movie, mm-hmm. there's better out there. I think so. Yeah, uh, and and that's that's where I kind of land a little bit more middle of the road. Certainly a good movie though, and that's where I think it cracks sixty for sure. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome, Vin. So we're going to take some time here. Those were three previously released films. Before we get to our next two, this is where we're going to take our time. And we're just going to do our producer segment. We want to let you all know that, you know, we don't think of you as listeners. Vin and I host the show, and you all are producers of this show. And you can become an an official, actual credit producer if you go to thedailyratings.com. You go to the donations tab, and whatever amount of value that you want to go ahead and kick back to us uh, monetarily... We really appreciate it, and that's what gets you that producership for the show. Uh, you can write a note along in with your donation. We'll read it during the show. We'll give you a shout-out. And if you want to be anonymous, say you want to be anonymous. And it's kind of building a uh, dialogue with, with, with you guys and everything like that. And we pretty – like all you who help produce you know, the daily ratings, we just – Thank you so, so much. We've been saying, you know, you're the most beautiful people (laughs) because you really are. We want to stay away from, you know, reading reading ads constantly that you guys are going to be skipping forward. And, you know, this gives us a direct line to you to have that communication back and forth. Uh, It's very meaningful. And we appreciate it. It's the dailyratings.com. Again, go to the donations tab, and we appreciate it. It's what keeps us going. Mm -hmm. It does take uh, a lot of time and a little bit of money to do this. So anything that uh, you can can be a buck if you want. And it's value for value. We want to, you know, if this is a a ratings guide, is this a tool to to save you some time or, or tell you where you should be watching? We want to hear how that value is. We yeah. want to hear from you. And if that. we're not getting anything from you guys, you know, we understand that maybe we need to do something different on our side, Absolutely. you know, because maybe Absolutely. you're not getting value. But, you know, think about how many times you're scrolling through a Rotten Tomatoes or an IMBD or something like that, and they all kind of suck anyway. They blur. <laughs> they and, blur you know, move, yeah, movie ratings and movie reviews are only so important in your life, and we understand mm-hmm. that. But, you know, it. this is, um, we like to be more consistent, and, you know, we don't throw ads in your face and everything like that and it also keeps us i don't want to say pure it just keeps us i like pure. Fa- yeah <laughs> <laughs> it keeps us fair and true yes. true to what do we think this movie is yeah. what do, what does vin think this movie is yeah. um what we talked about recently with like don't look up was mm. something fishy happened where and like the critics gushing mm. reviews in the beginning and then oof. up until two or three weeks after and then the critic reviews finally got mm-hmm. bad you know mm-hmm. how is netflix in the pocket of them just sure. to get netflix numbers up there's yeah. just like there's all kinds of like crap being played around yeah, yeah. and this kind of just it this is more bare bones back to the basics no one's telling us what to say yep. how to feel about a movie it's very real mm-hmm. and again we think it's consistent because the standards are the same when watching a film mm-hmm. so that's enough of that but that's kind of what we are how we're doing this and and to you producers, again, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Now let's move on to our now in theaters, now playing films. And we're going to start with the first one here. We have Bell, 
directed by Mamaru Hosada. Yes. And uh, Vin, what do we have with this film here? So uh, I was really excited for this. Uh, Studio Chizu, I believe it is, and uh, Mamaru Hosoda. I love his movies. I think he's had the crown of the next Studio Ghibli, if you will, for a long time, since probably the late uh, 2000s to early 2010s. And the fact that I saw a mainline film like this not be on a limited run of a, of a release, but no less taking the IMAX slot for a lot of theaters first week of January. And you can say, you know, what is what is first week of, of January? You know? Sure, sure. Um, but an IMAX slot, no less for this. I was very excited and very enthusiastic for this studio seeing the opportunities yeah it's that great that the getting. platform's getting bigger bigger and bigger i mean and like you said they came out with uh i mean if any of you were kind of at least in the uh, anime world or have a, mm-hmm. have a little knowing you know this guy did the girl who left through time summer wars wolf children mm-hmm. you know they're pumping out really good really good product really yeah. really good material absolutely and as studio ghibli you know the i would probably say the undisputed kings of of anime f- feature films as the quality there has waned a little bit for whatever reason you want to associate that you know hotsoda and team have have really stepped up and and created some very unique and and interesting experiences unfortunately this movie comes off much more simple uh much more straightforward and i want to bring it up because while I may be not super happy with a few things for the critiques that I'll get into, I think this very well could be the case that's just plain for just a younger demographic. I think uh, oh, this okay. could be under what I was expecting, huh. both for development, both for you know the particularities of how this world that uh, that that he creates works. And so, what age group would you say was meant for? I mean, it just makes I me mean, think the of characters Pixar. are in high school, but I guess that means nothing. I mean, everything's in high school with anime, you know. That's <laughs> <So, laughs> true. Yeah. Uh, so I I don't know. I think I think the story comes up much more simple. Uh, the elevator pitch here basically is there is a digital world, almost iconic uh, with his work because it's pretty much exactly what you would see in Summer Wars. There right. Is right. A, real world story and then there is a digital world story this is identical in that part of uh what i am kind of blah on is that unlike summer wars and unlike some of his his other works or the studio's other works it lacks an evolution it lacks a depth to that digital world and it's just taken so kind of straight faced and what it really boils down to is an anime Beauty and the Beast. Uh, that really is what this story boils down to, and that's where this younger demographic thing is coming up in my mind. You know? It's interesting though, because like like compared to a Pixar, where you know kids and adults can watch those and mm-hmm. love them for different reasons. I mm-hmm. mean, you can. I mean, old Disney and things like that. Original Beauty and Beast. It's mm-hmm. absolute love there for for a kid and for an adult. Mm-hmm. Where is the separation there? Where was it lacking? Where it's not necessarily meant for adults, or where was it lacking for you? Where you had that separation there, you know what I mean? It's definitely in the digital world side of it. You look at Summer Wars where there are economic implications to the to the world of what's going on with that. None of that care is put into the digital world. It's quite literally just a, we have a real world rom-drom and we have a very flashy IMAX-driven okay. digital world that boils down to Beauty and the Beast and kind so, of uninspired for that reason. Interesting. So, so, so kind of the depth or the... Um, um, 
these stakes where maybe that would be lost with the kids, but where the mm-hmm. where the adults would be picking up more on that and mm-hmm. enjoying it. That's what's lacking. Exactly. Kind of- and I think you hit the nail on the head of what what truly would make a children's film great is that enjoyment across demographics, you know? I think uh, you go either way. Because if know. a children's film but for a children's film, it's just what makes you can have a perfectly fine children's film mm-hmm. that's very, very good. Mm-hmm. Not good for adults. It's mm-hmm. those ones that are exceptional mm-hmm. that it's just it's crossed through the ages, you know. Absolutely. It, and yeah. much like kind of the original Beauty and Beast and things like that, you know, they those are cross generational. Yeah, that's true. It's true. I just I don't know. I, I think my expectations kind of shot me in the foot here uh, because I was seeing this big release, you know, excited for anything that comes out of that studio as far as work. But you know, that that's that's where I'll, I'll get into some of the criticism. Like I said, uh, it. This movie is split down the middle, folks, for a real-world story um, following, I believe, a character named Suzu. Um, Typical anime, high school romance, awkward type of comedy. The comedy works. I think it's a little bland in parts, but, you know, who am I to judge with that type of stuff? I think the comedy is the best part about it because there is some some very fun interactions between our characters and I think that's what really sells that side of the story, the real world plot okay. of it. Um, it. It feels like it's done many times before. Not that there's that that's bad, but kind of been there, done that, which maybe is a little bit of a theme uh, <laughs> emerging in this episode. Um, I will say the animation itself is obviously gorgeous in this real world segment and it's a highlight for me because there is is so much an abundance of CGI in the digital world. I bet. It's just like, it's not what I'm watching anime for. Get the CGI out of my anime. <laughs> you know, It's I weird to say, kind of. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not what I'm watching it for. And boy, if I could have an IMAX experience of something like Summer Wars, where the digital world is just as animated as the real world. Sure. You know, I, I was really hoping for that. Of course, I was expecting some CGI, but, and, and obviously digital editing is in the production of anime by these days, but mm-hmm. it was just... Uh, it's overkill, saturated. Yeah, a yeah. highlight of the real-world plot, definitely a negative of that digital world plot, and let's go ahead and, and, and jump into that a little bit. Like I said, the story boils down to a very surface-level uh, Beauty and the Beast. It's, it's, it's almost there for... I, man, I, I was just so confused by it because it's it's an analog of Beauty and the Beast. It's not it's not per se bad, but it's just so surface level. And I think this is all accentuated. It's all magnified by just but by just bad CGI. I was not a fan of the style of how this looks, and that is a huge, huge problem. If these segments are going to be the pitch the selling point behind why this is an IMAX experience why is this IMAX eye candy if the if the designs if the the look of the CGI is just so safe uh, and and if i really want to be critical so uninspired it's kind of a shame because and and it's exactly what you i mean you summed it up in the very beginning where it just kind of fell flat like it just it, yeah 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 and i wonder what the, the and cause of that this was. is an imax experience there there you know what i mean so, so was, was the story there and the and the anime and just other really. things fell or just like it and it, i believe it, me, it, I it can was have, all 
I can have no story if the anime is gorgeous. You know what I mean? Oh, I would yeah, say a yeah, lot of anime yeah. features have like you know nonsensical story, but it's a visual feast. This is lacking both, and it's lacking that in just some really bland designs. That on top of CGI, uh, I just did not like the digital world at all. And this is supposed to be the real pitch behind why this is an iMac experience. You know? Oh, is that right? Like that's yeah. okay. It's supposed to be this like beautiful, you know, colorful, practically a music video in some parts. But I just, I, I just felt it was just very safe. Uh, and none of the visual flair, again, we see in the director's same work of Summer Wars, you know, where there are, there is such care put into how this digital world operates, mm-hmm. uh, how it works when maybe most importantly, our, our, our camera or, or our viewpoint isn't on in the digital world, that it's living and breathing on its own. So much of this film feels like the digital world are just very bland avatars waiting for our characters to pop in and log in. And I don't feel like that works that well because there's little stakes, there's little impact, and again, it's just this Beauty and the Beast type of analog, and it just kind of... It just doesn't work. Very bland. Yeah, yeah just, just wow. extremely bland. And I would say if I had to narrow or dial in where that blandness really hurts the experience is, again... If this digital world, even CGI or not, is supposed to be the visual eye candy, the designs here do not stand up to, I would say, any other work of uh, from Studio Chizu, especially Summer Wars, which is identical in concept. Man, I uh, wonder what was going know. on. You know, it, it makes you wonder. My, my least favorite note is COVID production. I don't know. Sure, yeah, but it's anime. anime. Well, yeah, I don't you know. You know, I mean, I mean it's, just, it's, it's interesting to say. I mean, that would be... I don't get where how you would lack there. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But either way, again, that that's where uh, it, my main critique of it is, is that where, I mean, if, if, if any of you have watched Summer Wars or, or, or even some of the earlier works when Hotsoto was on his own, um, and, and, and maybe when we finally put audio to those reviews, I would love to dive into uh, some of his earlier works before he had the studio behind him. I... I <laughs> Lack of lack of creativity, uh, blandness. The, the, those are the farthest words uh, of how I would describe those films. Okay, the right, fact right, that right. that is uh, the tip of my tongue of how I would describe the digital world. I think that's a big problem, uh, and no less in an IMAX experience. So, again, I, I think my my viewpoint was pretty up there, or I uh, my my hype was was pretty up there. Uh, so I definitely wanted to keep it in check, but I I could not get past just like how like. That's a shame. It's just, ugh, ugh, you know. <laughs> I'll give you a specific, especially for anyone that has seen it. There are there's like a police force. There's like a you know uh, basically they have to stop the the love of, of Beauty and the Beast. Okay, this. and they're just like bad Power Rangers. Like it's not anything <laughs> even unique. Where you go to Summer Wars and like there's awesome. a mix of Buddhism in the visuals, and there's there's like a spiritual element. There's you know economics and right, it, right. It's, it's yeah, bland, very bland. It, it fell short, is what it sounds yeah. like, big time. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, but bottom line, I mean, I find it how confusing. You know, I, I find it very confusing. I should say uh, of what how the digital world plays into this story, the type of story that's being played, and how much just a missed opportunity a story like this in 2020, uh, 2022, You know, how much a a story of being on phones and 
avatars beyond yourself and the freedom in, in what that could bring for characters, especially socially awkward characters, uh, a Japanese market, mm. you know, none of that is brought home. And instead, it boils down to romance in the real world, romance in the in, in the digital world. Um, and, you know, with that, I, I you know, especially coming from the director of Summer Wars, uh, not only, you know, keeping my expectations in check, I just think there was just such a dropped ball with this. I, I'm, again, I am very ecstatic that this studio is able to get an IMAX slot in theaters in the U.S. with Japanese language. This is not, I don't believe it's English dub yet. So, hats off, you know, great. I, yeah, you know, I'm going to be supporting it from a from a monetary sense, but... He has so much better in his filmography, and it's I a think, shame because with a big release like that, you want it to be. Light. Oh yeah, you want it to be lightning. Uh, you know? Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I think if you have teenagers in your life, especially girls, uh, this would be a, a great watch in the theaters. You know, give that theater experience a shot because the music and uh, the visual spectacle it is there, despite those 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 kind of bland uh, designs that I was that was harping on. But uh, I think for the rest of you, we are going to go ahead and give Bell a forty-six. Ooh, forty-six. Yeah. Yeah. Disappointing. But certainly, allow so take, me to say, give anything else from Studio Chizu a shot. Yeah, so take your teens and tweens, but don't expect for you to have a good time. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> there's, there's no depth for, for daddy and mommy. Okay. So. <laughs> um, uh, that's a shame to see. That really is. I, yeah. Especially because of that big release. It's like, oh, you really want it to hit because then, you know, the likelihood of him... You only get so many chances. I know, yeah. At that kind of stuff, but and again, I can't stress enough that those opportunities—it's not coming out of nowhere. That right, depth right. was in other works, you know. what I mean, yeah. Uh, and and again, such an open, such an open season for a digital story in 2022. I mean, you know, this is the start of the year. I think there could have been something really creative cracked here, but um, just none, none of it. It boils down to just very straightforward. Maybe that's not a problem for you, but it was it was nothing that I was really raving about for me. Okay, so. well, uh, for our last film here, let's see if we can uh, turn it around. So this is based off of the 1946 book. Um, this is in theaters now. We have Nightmare Alley, mm. uh, some big casts. And uh, what, what do we have with this one, at least? Yeah, so uh, Nightmare Alley, uh, you're right, big cast. This is Del Toro's return after winning the Oscar for Shape of Water. Mm-hmm. So I think... Um, Definitely, his cast is is coming from people trying to not jump on the bandwagon, but they're they're excited what Del Toro can can do. And I was, I'm so happy because I mean Del Toro is the type of director that just loves, absolutely bleeds, lives and dies for making movies. The you know the art, the the fantasy of making movies. Um, we see this in his set design. We see this in his practical effects, and we see this in him coming into this story. Um, this is like like Tom, you said it was original book. There is also a, I believe, a 1937 ad- adaptation of that movie uh, of of the book. I don't know if it'd be 37 because the book came out in 46, I believe. Okay, so then it was probably 47. Uh, yeah, that would make movie. sense. Yeah, uh, and uh, honestly, folks at home, I tried to find the movie. It was not from from my research. It wasn't licensed by like a Criterion or anything like that. I was going to originally pair that. Maybe that's something to revisit, but the bottom line, you do not need to watch that uh, that film for the enjoyment of this film, and if anything, this this film is very, very different. Uh, I'd be curious more so of its interpretation of the novel. We have, um, of course, 
Bradley Cooper uh, in our lead here, despite the huge cast um, yeah. that is there. I would not call this an ensemble movie. This is Bradley's main, you know, he is, he is he's number the, one. He's the shining star. This. Exactly. Yeah. And this is a film, uh, very stream of conscious in Bradley's... Uh, in Bradley's character that goes from rags to riches with this circus uh, theme, this turn-of-the-century type of circus theme uh, around it or setting. Uh, I think for this reason, if I had to pair a director with this concept, Del Toro is a perfect match because the practical effects work, usually that would be put into... Maybe a character design for Shape of Water, you know, right, what, he, right. what he even got some Oscar nominations for, uh, or rather his team. You know, this is now not going into necessarily character props. It is now all being driven into the setting and the set pieces, and it is a gorgeous film for that reason. Even wow, when really? we progress past the circus into a more modern art deco of the time type of city feel to it the noir feel yeah of it. yeah it is gorgeous i mean his really? set work oh my god uh, just so beautiful to look at so much care put into lighting but again i think all of that normal probably budget that he allocates for maybe a creature design is now into the into the the actual so- the walls the the feel of these scenes that's great to hear because it almost had like a polished it had like a polished look to it that sometimes cgi gives it that mm, uh, that isn't mm-hmm. good to see mm-hmm. i had this problem with um the hobbit movies actually mm, where sure. it just had this this look to it where it almost like looked fake it looked cgi mm-hmm. and almost from the, watching the trip which i mean it's just a trailer but watching the trailer for this i was getting those vibes yeah kind of yeah. but it's good to hear that it's not really the case yeah it's, the, it's the exact opposite it sounds like yeah the, the lighting is really dramatic i i totally get what you mean uh if anything sticking it with kind of noir it felt like those early 2000s films it's probably a bad example I think of Sky Captain and, and the World of Tomorrow where like they have this CGI lighting that just looks terrible and just terribly dates the film okay um, you lost me on that one but I'm not uh, <laughs> it, it, it has that kind of look but it's being done well you know uh, that, that's basically right uh, it, and it's, this, it's followed through upon well and to the set itself was good too yes oh which yes. surprised me mm-hmm. I don't know why it surprises me but that's good to hear. I think, yeah, I think uh, noir stuff it could very easily be seen as cheesy or maybe been there, done that. But this film, there's a lot of care into it and truly gorgeous looking uh, settings. Wow, uh, okay. Both in the circus and then, oddly enough, even when we get out of the visual feast that is the circus, going into more art deco stylings, uh, really, really top notch. The circus noir, it really is cool as ice, though. It plays equal enjoyment in watching the magic of what's going on screen and understanding the con that is happening. That is where this story hits it and where I'm coming very positive with this is throughout the entire film we basically progress with Bradley Cooper through years of his life of in and out almost effortlessly weaving in and out of the concept of being the audience member and getting conned by the magic and then seeing behind the curtain understanding the magic and understanding the con everyone is either in one of those two positions either getting taken for a ride or doing the riding basically okay uh and it's wonderful how much this evolves to have bradley basically take this setting, this starting setting of circus noir, and grow it into 
you know, frankly speaking, just a normal noir story and still have the same through line of what the plot and what the story is about. It's, are you, are, are you a part of the con or are you a victim of that then? So, uh, and really enjoyable for that reason. Cooper, as our lead, you know, he starts this out very much as a blank slate at first. My, my first notes was like, is he going to talk? <laughs> uh, and I was worried for a second, but it's very much intentional because the introduction to the circus, there's so much of a, no pun intended, a juggling act to mm-hmm. it and introducing weird concepts. I'm really glad Cooper has this blank slate approach because in the story itself, he's learning his trade. He's learning the con from the people he's getting introduced to in the circus. He's very much you know, witnessing the con. He's the audience member. Okay. And then slowly he builds that expertise to understand the cons of it. So while you're on... While you're along the ride with Mm -hmm. him, with Bradley, you're Mm -hmm. also getting kind of information dumps where you're also knowing more past him? Uh, No, no. I would say... If anything, not at all, because it's very stream of conscious. We're 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 kind of just in the viewpoint of either you're you're witnessing the magic, quote unquote. You know, right, in, right. In, in, you're the in, unseen man in the room. You are the cameraman. You're following exactly. You're there, okay. And, and you're following him as well when he finally understands what's actually going on behind scenes. I see, okay. How so, are they actually so selling the magic? Okay, you you're know? really along the ride with him. Then. Exactly. Yeah, you're following Bradley through yeah. this film big time. Yeah. Uh, knowing some of uh, Del Toro's work, I I was expecting this to have a magical realism to it and actually have some sort of magic but I think why this film is so great is that it never breaks from wow. that that all magic is a con basically uh, and, oh. and, and, and the enjoyment of that is so equal because we're through Cooper's eyes we get to experience a lot of the time what the audience was experiencing so the 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 the, the brevity, the uh, the excitement to that on screen, and then there is always a, a return to enjoying it of understanding what's actually going on, you know, what's be- happening behind the scenes of how this actually works in real time. Uh, and very enjoyable for those two reasons because yeah. you get to enjoy both sides. Yeah, it's that. funny. Yeah, you're revisiting it, but it's not a bore. It's actually engaging still. Exactly. That, that's, that's very cool. Yeah. And it's good that it keeps, like, how's the it's, how's the pacing? Like, it's two and a half hours It long. is a long one, yes. But is it worth it? it? Like, being there with Bradley mm-hmm. and watching the character develop and him learning and then you mm-hmm. learning and you mm-hmm. revisiting things and finding new stuff out. Like, it is a, it's a good ride to be on it is absolutely worth your time ah, uh, very, it is that's worth good to hear. the full the full two hours and 30 uh because again it's it just able to explain to or well, the, the story is able to convey that sometimes you are either witnessing the magic or you are the con man here behind the magic and that through line it's pretty cool not only has a palatability and excitement to see on screen the fact that that ties in through the entire film uh, and really is the arc for our characters sometimes you're taking for a ride sometimes you're doing the ride that is where this movie is you know excels from wow this is really solid to something great uh, i really wow. enjoyed it for that reason and if anything tom you you know me uh, folks at home if you've been listening it has been a minute since I praised any movie for its length. Uh, so uh, the fact that a two hour, a meaty two hour and thirty film, I think, is absolutely worth every minute on screen. It's, it's a big deal. That's a we big did, deal. Now, Paul Thomas Anderson did really well last week. True, very true. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. um, yeah, <laughs> it's been few and far between. If few and far. Once absolutely. We, yeah, when you hit that two and a half hour mark, you you best time have a good reason mm-hmm. why. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back a little bit to Cooper uh, again, it starts as a blank 
slate, but I love how the carny life really, really forms him. And then when we finally get to the second half and, and him blossoming out in his own career, I think it's 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 really great to watch because it's it's callbacks, but callbacks with substance to the lessons characters have taught him through the many characters in the carny side of this story. I think, uh, you know, the length for that reason is a bit much because you're seeing a big arc, you know, an evolution of mm-hmm, sure. what the lives of these characters become. But it really, as long as you like the pitch that is made within the first 20 to 30 minutes, you're going to be locked in for the rest of the movie. And I certainly was locked in for the rest of the movie with how much it delivers a great arc for Cooper as our lead uh, and really great stuff. Okay, all right. I I think on closing notes, uh, I remember watching Freaks, uh, the 1930s uh, movie, and not loving the the real intensity there is to freak shows uh that was i I remember actually eating uh a stuffed pepper at the time while watching this and i (laughs) straight up lost my appetite because (laughs) because that that was a movie that was actually banned for some time because of the real freak show portrayal right right i think what del toro has done to take that setting make it fascinating Make it a little bit more palatable, a little bit more safe, but still have the intensity of that turn-of-the-century carny life uh, and craft this this movie around it. It's that brutal nature that that sells this movie. It's that dog-eat-dog. And once again, you can be saying, well, that's great that that's all in the carny life, but what, what happens... As we're getting to the second half of the film and we're not in that carny life, once again, we have a a yielding of these themes of a dog-eat-dog world following our characters, following their progression, mm-hmm. and are they getting taken for a ride or not? Uh, I think that is what lands this film for me, that evolution and that always the returning to those same concepts but just higher stakes yeah, more yeah. and more, really what lands this film from something I was very positive on to really something that I thought was great. Uh-huh. We're going to go ahead and give what Nightmare Alley an 80 on the dot. Wow, okay. I thought it was it was a great movie. I'll tell you what, yeah, I, that's... I mean, that's awesome to hear. It's mm. a shame that it's not doing very well in theaters. Ooh, was know? this squashed between Spider-Man and like, uh, what the Matrix? Hell? I mean, I would say this is very poor handling of, of the studio of the market. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. This is business. This is nuts and bolts. Man, and it, <laughs> you cracked the 80 mark with this. Uh, thing. I, I was not expecting it. If anything, if I saw an 80 coming up, I would have said like maybe Harry Met Sally or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's That's... Awesome. I love those surprises. Mm-hmm. I love those surprises. And also for your sake, too. Like, that's worth cool. the runtime. <laughs> right. No, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very, very good. Yeah. But give this movie some love, folks, because I can't, t- I can't stress how much. I mean, it really is a tragedy of the release schedule. And I mean, I had to jump through the, some hoops to see this in theaters and, and make sure it was in my kind of now playing for the podcast. Um, when, I mean, undoubtedly, by the time this gets released, uh, when this is something that um, you can watch through streaming or at home, give it a chance. It is worth the runtime. Do not be scared by it. And, you know, be enthralled with the magic that really happens on screen. Wow, that's that's awesome to hear. It's a great uh, great finish to this podcast as well. Um, night, wow, Nightmare Alley, really good, really good at an eighty mm-hmm. percent. Vin, is there anything else you'd like to add, or are we rolling credits here? I think we are good to go. 
Okay. Uh, well, Vin, we thank you for stopping by. And for folks, we're just going to run things down one more time here. We have one Harry Met Sally with a 74%. Memories of a Murder with a 76 Nobody with a 62 Bell with a 46 and Nightmare Alley with an 80%. We thank you so much, folks, for stopping by and giving us a listen. And we will see you next week on the Daily Ratings Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, give us a good rating or tell a friend about us. If you're wondering if a film is worth a watch, or if you'd just like to see more movie ratings from Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com, where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in the podcast or our site, become a producer and go to the Donations tab on thedailyratings.com. You can donate whatever amount of value you feel you received from us. You'll get a producer mention on the next podcast episode, too. We're looking to build this into something large and great, but also be independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.